This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. King of glory and light, all praises to the only giver of life, our maker, the gates are open wide, we worship you. Come see what love has done, amazing, he brought us with his blood, our Savior, the cross has overcome. We worship you. We worship you. Shout, Hosanna, Jesus, he saves. Shout, Hosanna, he rose from the grave. Come and lift him up, Hosanna. Thank you so much. If you've got your Bibles and uh, if you come to church, you ought to bring your Bibles. John, the book of John. 
will provide uh, kind of the jumping off point, and then we'll be looking at some other scriptures as well. Uh, today, we wrap up our series entitled Rediscovering Jesus. And this journey started, I think it was before Thanksgiving, and uh, it's been an amazing 10-week journey, at least for me personally, and, and I pray that spiritually it's, it's been good for you as well. Let me try to set up our lesson by reminding you of a few things. First of all, the foundation of the Christian faith is not the church. And I love the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not blind to its flaws. Frankly, I do get irritated sometimes how we Americans, we've, we've kind of fashioned and shaped the church to please us. You know, unfortunately, too many times it's about making us feel good. Um, you know, I don't like that, but I still love the church of Jesus Christ. But the church is not the foundation of the Christian faith. The foundation of the Christian faith is not Christians. And I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't like everybody. You don't like me at times. But you know what? Um, yeah, we're eclectic. We're strange. We're at times cranky. But our brothers and sisters in Christ make up a pretty good family. Amen? The foundation of the Christian faith isn't even answered prayer. And it's encouraging when we hear someone say, Oh, Pastor, I had an answer to prayer this past week. Let me tell you about it. And I, I love those times. But answered prayer is not the foundation of our faith. That the foundation of the Christian faith isn't even having all of our questions answered about the Bible. And, and I love God's Word. This is inspired. This is inerrant. This is truth. It's trustworthy. Um, but you will always probably have things you don't understand about the Bible. And if you ever run out of things to do, I've got a long list of questions you can help me sort through because I haven't figured out everything yet. The, the foundation of our faith is, is not a creed. It's not a code. It's not a particular conduct. It's not a style of dress. Rather, the foundation of our faith is something that today we will call the mystery of history. And this mystery of history is, is centered around an event involving a rabbi named Jesus. And this mystery of history caused 12 followers of Jesus who were simple fishermen. They were farmers, tax collectors, just common people. It caused them to spread the news about this event to where today, listen, one out of every three people on planet earth identifies as a follower of Jesus Christ. This mystery of history also helps explain the fact that even though Jesus never wrote a book, probably never wrote anything down, yet there are more books written about Jesus than about any other person in the world. This mystery of history helps explain how even though Jesus never composed a song, yet there's more music written about him than anybody else. 
This mystery of history helps explain the fact that even though Jesus never painted a picture, yet more artists have have drawn and painted Jesus into their artwork than any other person in history. This mystery of history helps explain the reason that even though Jesus never traveled more than a hundred miles from where he was born, kind of like some people here from Cedar County, yet you can find his followers in every nook and cranny, in every continent and nation, and pretty much every language of the world. How did that happen? It's the mystery of history. And think about this. When, when I say the name Caesar Augustus, what do you think of? Well, many of you would probably say, well, Roman emperor. And, and he was. He was actually the first Roman emperor. Caesar Augustus made all kinds of changes, reforms in, in, in Rome. But I doubt if any of you here, unless you're a history teacher, you probably can't name one thing he did. How about Nero? Well, he was another Roman emperor, and you, you probably couldn't tell me anything he did. Maybe a few of you would say, well, you know what, just for kicks, just for fun, just for entertainment, Nero fed Christians to lions. And he did. But besides that, you're probably like me, and you don't remember anything else about him. And from the historical standpoint, it seems odd that we don't remember much about these guys, uh, uh, y- y- you know, because Caesar and, and Nero and other emperors of Rome... that. You know, they were some of the biggest names within one of the greatest superpowers ever, but we can't remember anything about them. They've merely become footnotes in history. But when I say the name Jesus Christ, he was not an emperor. He was not an author. He was not an artist. He was not a singer. He was not a president. He was just a very plain, common, passive rabbi from Galilee. Yet he is far from being a footnote in history. And, and the question is, how in the world did Jesus not just become another footnote in history like Caesar Augustus and Nero and Herod and Pilate? I mean, Jesus never advocated any type of revolution. He never organized a day of marching and, and picketing in Jerusalem. His message was not one of, hey, let's rock this place. Let's turn this place upside down. With Jesus, there was no talk of insurrection. There was no talk of liberation. There was no talk of overthrowing governments. So, again, how did Jesus make such an impact on the world? Well, it's this mystery of history. And to make this big mystery even more mysterious, it's interesting, right before Jesus was crucified... His closest friends and followers abandoned him. In fact, nobody stood up for him. And here's why this is important. And I found this really fascinating. The the very people who brought us the story of, of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel writers, as they bring us the story, listen, they present themselves as cowards. See, when you write yourself into a story, you normally do not write yourself in as the coward. Do you? No, you write yourself in as the hero. But but the very people who brought us everything we know about Jesus, they all admitted that when Jesus was arrested, they ran. They were cowards. They were scaredy cats. And not only that, but Peter, who earlier had said, Lord, you know, I don't know about these other yahoos. I can't speak for them, but you can count on me. When push comes to shove, I'll be here for you. Well, after Jesus is arrested, Peter is sitting by a fire and a middle school girl walks up to him and says, 
Hey, I, I think I saw you with Jesus earlier. Um, you, you must be one of his followers. And, and not only did Peter say, no, I'm not. And not only did Peter say, I don't even know him. But he punctuates it by swearing. We're, we're talking about Peter. One of Jesus' closest followers. So again, how is it that the message of Jesus Christ spread across the world? Well, it was because of one epic event. You say, well, was that one epic event Jesus' death? Well, his death, death was necessary for our salvation. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And, and you remember that his death was accompanied by an earthquake and sudden darkness. And, and that big, thick curtain there in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. But really, what, what's the big deal about dying? Everybody dies. I mean, you'll die, I'll die, we'll all end up in a graveyard someplace. So, one more time. Uh, and I keep asking this, how is it that this crazy movement that should have died, when the leader died, not only survived the first century, not only survived the second century, not only survived the third century, on up to the 21st century, there's only one answer. It's the great mystery of history let me finally tell you what you already know. This great mystery of history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's how it unfolded. Last week we followed Jesus as he left the Passover meal with his disciples and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. We followed him as Judas betrayed him and he was taken to the Sanhedrin and then to Pilate's palace and then to Herod's palace and then back to Pilate's palace and then to the place where Jesus was whipped beyond recognition by two Roman soldiers, each with a cat of nine tails. We followed him to Golgotha, where Jesus was nailed to the cross, where he said, it's finished, and breathed his last breath. But ladies and gentlemen, that wasn't the end of the story. You want to read what happened after that? Just follow along in John chapter 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So, you know, 75 pounds of spices for you farmers. Think of a 50-pound bag of feed for your cows and then add half again to that. And verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them, so this would be Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they wrapped it with the spices, make sure you pay attention, with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, if you read this account, and, and by the way, that's the most effective way to read the Gospels is, is blend all of these accounts together with from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Matthew gives a little bit of detail, Mark gives some more, Luke gives some more, John gives some more. And so if you can read that in parallel 
then it'll make a lot more sense. You'll get a lot more uh, meat out of this. But, but as you blend it with the other gospel writers, there is just one little detail that cracks me up. And I know my namesake, Joe Wallace, he'll, he'll get a kick out of this. He's warped like I am. Uh, but, you, you know, th- this is probably my, my, my sarcastic sense of humor. But we read where Joseph and Nicodemus, two men prepared the body with spices. That, that was right after he died, you know, the evening bef- before the Sabbath. But this is what cracks me up. There were some women that evidently felt that the men didn't do a good enough job. And so they decided that it needed to be redone. And so let's switch over to Mark's gospel and and catch this, uh, because it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, remember Joseph and Nicodemus, they had anointed his body with spices before the Sabbath. And so this is after the Sabbath, says Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome brought spices, bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. What? The guys had already done that. But it appears as usual, the women didn't think the guys could do it right the first time. And so they felt they needed to step in and redo it. Now I'm partially joking here, just partially. (laughs) But but seriously, probably what happened is that the sun was going down and and Jesus was crucified on Friday. and, And so the minute that the sun set on Friday evening would begin the Sabbath. It was sundown to sundown. That's the way it worked back then. And, and it also signaled the beginning of Passover. And, and so the religious laws didn't allow them to be embalming and putting spices on a dead body on the Sabbath. So more than likely, the guys were, were saying, you got, we got to hurry, you know, sundown's coming. And, and so they probably took the body in there and, and just quickly uh, embalmed, put, put spices on, on the body. And, and they said, oh man, it's almost down. We got to get out of here so we don't break the law. And um, the ladies thought, well, we better go in there. They did this in a hurry. We better make sure it was done the right way. So in Mark chapter 16, verse 2, it says, Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they, meaning these ladies, were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, This is really sad, and and it actually is the way it is in some countries today, but in the first century, women had no credibility, absolutely none. In fact, in the first century, a woman would not be allowed to appear and testify in court because her testimony was considered unreliable. And so if there were any way possible for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to tell the story of the resurrection and somehow press delete, keep the women out of the story, they would have done it. Because even though they were followers of Jesus, yet their culture was still embedded deeply into their minds. And so saying that the women were the first people to find the empty tomb, you know, in their minds would have discredited the account to others that were reading at that time. But you have to hand it to them. They were trying to give an accurate account. And so that's probably the only reason that they included the women in in the story in this part. But anyway, early on the first day of the week, Sunday, while it was still dark, the women made their way to the tomb wondering how they would get that big stone rolled back so they could get into the tomb and properly put spices around the body. 
Verse 4. But when they looked up, they got to the tomb. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, and catch this, that was very large, had been rolled away. Now, I I wish we all spoke Greek here. Uh, You know, New Testament Greek. Because it's just so rich. And, And if you go back to the original Greek text here, it appears that the stone had not just been moved over just a little bit. Maybe it was downhill, so had some guys just kind of push it down. But the Greek wording, the Greek word, carries the implication that the stone was picked up, carried uphill a distance away. In other words, humans would not have done it that way. They would have just budged it a little bit, just enough to get into the tomb. Okay, switching back to John's Gospel. And what was the reaction of of the women when they saw the stone was rolled away? Well, Mary Magdalene, in John chapter 20, verse 2, it says, So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. So who would that be? John. He was known as John the Beloved. And he was telling this as an eyewitness. And said, they've taken, just imagine the angst here. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb We don't know where they put him. Now, do you know why this part of the account is so important? Um, Because Mary Magdalene didn't go running back to the disciples and say, Hallelujah! He is risen! Praise God! You know, we were just standing outside the tomb and going, Ten, nine, eight, seven. And when we got to one... There was a flash of light and Jesus came bursting out of the tomb. Glory be to God. There was a resurrection. He's alive. It didn't happen that way. There was no drum roll. There was no band. There was no celebration. There was no shout. There were no fireworks. Now, if God would have put me on the planning committee for the resurrection, I would have had a big pyrotechnic show. And I would have had Don Francisco, and you young people never heard of this guy, but he wrote a song, you know, he's alive, he's alive, I'm forgiven, heaven's gates are open wide, he's alive, but there was none of that. But anyway, what was important about what Mary said is that even though Jesus time and time again had tried to tell them, yet, listen, Jesus' closest friends and followers actually thought that when Jesus died, He would stay dead. And so when the women found an empty tomb, they did not assume a resurrection. They assumed that there was a person that was probably sick mentally and had robbed the grave. And they ran back to the disciples, the ladies did, and they said, somebody has taken the Lord. We don't know where they put him. Well, how did the men respond to the women? This is a classic. Luke chapter 24, verse 10. They, the ladies, told the apostles what had happened. And and listen to this. But the story sounded like nonsense. So they didn't believe it. So so when the women came running to the men to say Jesus' body is missing, the, the men said to the women, you are all crazy. That's the reason we don't allow women to give testimony in court. You're not trustworthy. You're driven by your emotions. You don't have a sense of direction. You probably went to the wrong tomb. 
It's just nonsense. But, <laughs> just in case the disciples decided to check it out for themselves. And so we read in verse 3, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter. So who's the other disciple? John. He's talking about himself in third person. He was a faster runner. And so it says, John reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Now, do you know why John didn't go in? Do you know why he didn't just barge in? Because it was a tomb. You typically don't go barging into a tomb without a little bit of caution. <laughs> but listen to this. Verse 6, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. You know, Peter had always been the impulsive one. He always talked without thinking. He acted before his brain engaged. And, and he just barges in. And when he got in there, said he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And, and I found this really interesting. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, John gets his courage up. Says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And if I've lost you the first 20 minutes or so, would you please come back? And because I want you to listen to this statement. It says, He saw and believed. This is John the Beloved, probably Jesus' closest earthly friend. This is John, the writer of the Gospel of John. This is John, the writer of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. This is John, the writer of the book of Revelation. Did you notice when John fully believed? It wasn't during the teaching times that Jesus had. It wasn't when Jesus called a coin out of the mouth of a fish. It wasn't when Jesus stopped the waves with a word. It wasn't when Jesus spoke to a fig tree and it withered. It wasn't when Jesus spoke and a basket became a banquet. It wasn't during or after any of the 37 recorded miracles that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't even during the crucifixion, even though the sky went black and there was an earthquake. John finally believed when he saw the empty tomb. And that empty tomb started a chain reaction and suddenly these cowards, these disciples who had fled and, and abandoned Jesus when he was arrested, uh, when they realized that Jesus did indeed raise from the grave, they believed. And here's what's so important, they couldn't keep quiet about it. They went into the streets of Jerusalem, surrounding areas, and they began to preach and teach. And, and do you know what their sermon topic was? Not the parables of Jesus, not the miracles of Jesus, not the love of Jesus, not that Jesus turned water into wine, not that he healed people, not that he cast out demons, not that, you know, here are the Ten Commandments, you better follow them. You know, they didn't preach turn or burn or get right or get laughed or, as someone said, get sanctified or get French fried, whatever that means. But the book of Acts gives us the four-point outline that Peter preached. And remember, Peter is the one who ran and denied Christ. Here is point number one. Peter said, you killed him. His message wasn't seeker-sensitive. 
He said, you killed him. And, and of course, Peter knew he was talking directly to the people who had been part of the crowd that, that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. So point number one was, you killed him. Point number two was, but praise God, he resurrected. You killed him, yet he didn't stay dead. The stone was rolled away. Jesus came out of the tomb. Point number three, we've seen him. We know he is alive. There, uh, you know, we, this is no hearsay. We, we saw him with our very own eyes. In fact, there were 500 people, over 500 people that saw him alive after the resurrection. We weren't dreaming. We weren't smoking weed. We weren't under the influence. We saw him and others did too. We know he's alive. And point number four was now say you're sorry. Or in other words, repent. Come to Jesus because he's the savior of the world. The resurrection is what solves history's greatest mystery. And it explains how this movement that Jesus began survived his death. It explains how it, was, how it survived the first century when Christians were being fed to lions. It explains how it survived the dark ages when there was so much confusion. It explains how it survived years of the corruption of the church. It explains how it survived the first and the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth, the seventh and the eighth centuries all up to today. Death was no match for Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 said that Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Anybody want to say amen? That was wimpy. And so here's what the resurrection means for us. It means that your hope is not in vain. It means that when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life... You know what that means? That means that he is the resurrection and the life. And you know what? I know this really, it, it, it sounds like a statement that a man from Cedar County would make, but I'm here. That's who I am. But if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. Amen? And this is why no matter how bad your church experience has been, no matter how crooked the last Christian you did business with was, no matter what you've seen in terms of hypocrisy in the church, no matter how boring your pastor is, you need to get your eyes off of all of those things and go back to this great mystery of history. And you need to realize that there are hypocrites. People will be hypocritical. You need to understand that people will be cranky. <laughs> you need to understand that people will always disappoint us. The church will fail you. Promise you. We'll fail you at one time or another. But that has nothing to do with Jesus. And I want to take this opportunity to say you need to get your eyes back on Jesus. And know that he defeated the cross. He defeated the tomb. He defeated Satan. And listen, I think somebody needs this. He defeated sin. And this means that you can be set free. Not because you're strong, but because he's strong. 
This means that you can feel His presence, not because you deserve it, but because He wants to be close to you. This means that your sins can be forgiven, not because you're good, but because He's good. The tomb is empty. He is risen. And that changes everything. You know, a man by the name of Dale Evans once said, and this is a statement that I don't think I'll ever forget, but he said this, I spent most of my life searching for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and then I finally found it at the foot of the cross. The cross and the resurrection, they are what give us hope for the future. And so today, I'd love for all of us to just make a move back to Jesus. Give yourself to Jesus, not to the church, not to ideas, not to rules and traditions, but to Jesus. Because of the great mystery of history, a man who died, but resurrected from the dead, because of that, we have hope today. So I'm not blind to the fact that today we represent a lot of issues. I know in this church we represent some marriage issues. I know we represent some health issues. I know we represent some financial issues, some job issues. I'm not blind to the fact that there's conflict between two fellow believers. But could I just say that would you get your eyes off of those things and look to Jesus? the author and the finisher of our faith. And as we pray, as we pray this morning, would you just, I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but maybe there's someone here that has been distant from Jesus. You, you've maybe been close to the church or you've had your eyes on these kinds of things, but you've been distant from Jesus. Would you come back to Jesus? Come back to Jesus. Would you just bow your heads before we pray? Maybe there's somebody here that would say, Joe, God has really convicted me. God has spoken to me. Would you just pray for me right now? I could use your prayers. Anybody want to just lift a hand and say pray for me? Anybody? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you. You know what, I wasn't going to do this, but I just kind of sense a tug. And I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm not going to make a, a big appeal, but maybe there's someone that wants to come and just have some people gather around you. This doesn't mean that you've got to say anything to anyone. But maybe you just want the support of your brothers and sisters. Is there anyone that would like to come and just pray here and we'll have some people gather around you? Anyone want to come? Grab a person by you and say, hey, go with me. Pray with me. Is there anyone like that? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are doing a work today. Lord, you know the things that we represent, the issues that we face. Lord, you know the fact that we get our eyes on things and on people and stuff and and Lord, I think this, this is a reminder that we need to get our eyes back on Jesus. And 
Lord, I pray that Jesus would be preeminent in our lives, that Jesus would be prominent. Lord, forgive us for those times that we've focused on the wrong things. And Lord, just as your closest followers, they didn't really believe your word when when you said, you know what, I'm going to rise again three days and I'm going to rise, but they didn't believe it. When they went to the tomb that was empty, they thought somebody had stolen the body. And Lord, sometimes it's the same with your word. As we look at your word, we don't really believe your word. We, we say we do, but we don't. God, I pray that we would put our trust in the words of Jesus. Lord, the hope that the resurrection brings to us. God, I pray that we would live our lives in that power, resurrection power. And so God, you know those that raised their hands. There were a lot of hands that were raised this morning, just people that are needing prayer. And God, you know what those issues are. Lord, you know they're very near and dear to their heart. And maybe nobody else knows, but you know, and they know. And I just pray that you would go in and be that help. God, I pray that you would help us this week to be more than conquerors, victors in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we want to thank you. Sometimes we forget about the resurrection and we just focus on the death and there has to be a death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But thank you that there was a resurrection and because of that power, we can have eternal life. And so, Lord, as we go from here today, would you just help us to live in that power of Jesus crucified but risen again and coming again. And, Lord, one of these days, that's going to be a glorious reunion. And Sherry's there today. Lord, Sherry's there today. And and one of these days, Lord, whether we go through death or whether it's through the rapture, Lord, if our lives are right with you, we're going to see you and help us to be faithful to you during this time. Thank you for your amazing presence. We love you. And it's in your name we ask these favors. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Before before you go, if there's anyone that would like to pray or, or talk, you know, find someone you've got confidence in, seek out a staff member. We'd love to just spend some time with you and Also, I remind you that uh, our new devotionals for the next quarter, they are in. Feel free to take as many as you will need. Thank you. Be safe going home, and we'll see you. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.